You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you very much. It really is a special morning, I think, to be talking to Harborside. Uh, Father's Day is a big thing. And I've got my dad in the room who I'm really thankful for. His dad, as Dave mentioned, I'm a father to be soon. So it's a particularly special morning to be standing up here. My name is Matt. If you are new to Harborside, a very warm welcome. I'm going to be speaking for the next three and a half hours on a small <laughs> topic. It's quite a big topic, actually. Um, and we're continuing on in this journey. If you haven't been at Harborside before, you have been away for a while, we've been in the book of Philippians, and it's been an amazing journey so far. I've been surprised by just how much a very short letter has to say on this topic of joy. And that's the topic we've been in. Who doesn't want joy? Who doesn't find joy really hard to manage at times? And so I think we've got a special opportunity this morning to continue on in this passage uh, of Philippians and in this topic of joy. And what we're going to do is we're going to basically work through three big chunks of the Bible. We're in Philippians chapter 2 that was just read out to us by Mandy, and we're looking at 12 to 18. You can see the three chunks behind me. We're actually going to sort of look at them in a bit of reverse order because it'll help us understand that thematically all of these verses sort of fit nicely together. So we're going to start in that midsection, and then we're going to follow on to the last verse, and then our focus verse is right at the top. Before we start, though, um, I'd love to pray for us and to pray for me. So let's pray to God quickly. God, we pray for each of us that we can have ears to hear, ears that are eager to hear the meaning of these words this morning. And not just hear, Lord, but to work to apply it. We pray that your spirit would work in us to change us by your words this morning. Amen. I really love hobbies. Like, I really, really like hobbies. Now, you're probably thinking, this guy probably likes a hobby. Now, when you look at me, you think, okay, maybe he likes a hobby. But whatever you're thinking, double it. I like hobbies more than what you're thinking. Trust me. Ask my wife. Ask my mum or dad. Ask my friends or family. I just, I just like trying stuff. I don't know whether you're like me, but I like sort of setting myself a goal. And when I start one of these hobbies, I go into them with the basic view that I'm going to do them for the rest of my life. It always starts that way, right? I'm going to do it forever. But for some reason, I don't. I don't know what it is. Now, as you can probably guess, one of my hobbies was golf. Now, I don't know if you've played golf before, but there's this really little part on the end of a metal bit and you hit a very small ball into an even, a really small hole. That sounds like a great game. And I thought, I'm going to really get into golf. I might become a member of a golf club. So I became a member of a golf club. I thought to myself, what I'll do is I'm going to play six times a week. I might play seven times a week. <laughs> I'll probably be a professional in about a year. Pretty, pretty simple principle. You just hit the little ball, right? And... I might have to practice a bit. I guess I thought I can basically do all of those things. I can practice. People have gone before me, you hit a ball into a hole. Very good. 
And see, what I do with my hobbies, I set myself this target. I set myself this goal, and I want to get to it, right? I want to work towards it, so I go for it. And sometimes I get there. The vast majority of the time, I don't get to my target at all. But regardless, what's inevitable is that my hobby stops. And if it doesn't stop, I at least stop practicing it. See, when I started golf, oh, I was so keen. I'd get up in the morning, I'd go and play by myself, rain, hail or shine before work. But it's hard to keep motivated over time, isn't it? I get to a certain level and then life gets busy. Or other things come in, or another hobby comes up, even better. I'll start buying new paraphernalia for the next new thing. I give it a go for a while, but it gets hard. And some other parts of my life, and I don't know about you, but maybe some other parts of your life might just be like your hobbies. And so I started reflecting this week that sometimes perhaps our faith in God might be a little too much like our hobbies. See, being a Christian is difficult. In the world that we live in today, it's hard to keep going, and I would say it's even harder to keep growing. And so this morning, what I want to do is I just want to focus on a small part of this passage, and it's to address and discuss this issue of Christian growth, Christian maturity. What does this mean? See, in previous weeks, we've heard things like, To live is Christ. Remember those words? Or conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Last week, Dave talked to us about living out our life in Christian humility as we imitate Jesus. And this is good stuff, right? But it's hard. And we've heard in previous weeks on this topic of joy that our joy isn't based in us or in this building or in the people even around us, but our joy is based in God. And this is amazing too, but it can be hard, can't it? Maybe our faith is a little too like our hobbies. And so today I want to focus on one particular part of the passage that I think is particularly fascinating, potentially quite confusing, and without a doubt, interesting. And this is it. It says, Therefore... My dear friends, have a read with me. As you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, perhaps for you, this passage is simple. It's straightforward at first glance. Or potentially you're looking and thinking, okay, this is a bit confusing. But in any case, I hope this morning we get to unpack it and get to the bottom of it. A few things to highlight at first. It mentions the words continue. It mentions the words work out. And work out our what? Salvation, it says. But what does this mean? What does it mean to work out? What does it mean salvation? And when you have a potentially confusing verse like this, people a lot smarter than me say that a great thing to do is to look at context. Ask the question, who is this written to? What was said just before this verse? What was said just after this verse? Because what I don't want to do is get this verse misunderstood this morning. And so first of all, on context, it's worth noting that this letter that is written is written to a group of Christians, not dissimilar to us. 
written by a guy called Paul. And this part, particularly in the verse, it really sort of points to the Christian listener particularly. But I think that this passage has real relevance and if nothing else, should be thought-provoking for everyone in the room, even if you might not consider yourself a Christian. And so as we look at context, the very first part of the passage that stands out is this word, therefore. Can you see it? This implies that there's something beforehand that helps clarify this passage for us. It's for that reason, or consequently, this next little bit's written. See, Paul, the writer, seems to think that what he said just before seems to be relevant for this passage, at least related, if nothing else. Now, this text is small, but don't worry. If you can't read it, just listen up, because this is what we looked at last week, and I just want to recap it super quickly, because this is Paul writing an instruction to the church in Philippi. Do you remember last week? In your relationships, he's saying, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, he writes. But he says, in humility, consider others above yourselves. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus. This Christ Jesus, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be used to his own advantage. But get this, Jesus made himself nothing. He humbled himself And as he was humbled, God exalted him to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is God, to the glory of God your Father. So Paul writes this and then, therefore, and we stumble onto our verse. See, the relationships with one another, it seems, Paul says, should be characterized by humility. And this example of humility is in Jesus And this Jesus is God who has all authority. Therefore, so this therefore seems to naturally connect this previous passage. So it's about who Jesus is and about his commands on humility. And it connects with our passage this morning. See that Jesus' reign and call for humility is the motive. It's the incentive for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. See, perhaps there's a hint here about what Paul means to work out our salvation. But it's not just these words before or these words, um, uh, sorry, it's not just the words before, but it's also the words after that give us a hint. And in this next verse that I want to show us, it gives us a potential application or a potential example of what it means to work out our salvation. Have a look with me. Verses 14 to 16, it says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Did you notice that our focus passage this morning is it's sandwiched between two passages about relationships? written to groups of Christians, and it says, remember in your relationships, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, then we hit our passage, and then it says, don't grumble or don't argue. Paul is really encouraging the listener to work out our life, work out our faith without arguing, with having the same mindset of Jesus. And he's encouraging him to work it out, 
to live it out by imitating Jesus. And he says, you'll stand out in the community. This verse here is quite a challenge, isn't it? I'm looking around the room and, gosh, we can be difficult, can't we? People, that is. We're difficult. We're hard sometimes. We have our own agendas. We have our own biases. And so we come together and form a community together. And Paul gives us the encouragement here to work out our faith within this community, within Christian community, without arguing, without grumbling, and with humility. Imagine if as a church, Harborside could be characterized by this humility. Well, Paul says, we'll stand out in this neighborhood. Because when you get 100 people in a room together, there's bound to be some challenge over time. But if we have relationships characterized by humility, we will shine. And not for our sake, but for God's. Did you note these critical words? As you hold firmly to the word of life. What does this mean? This word of life is Jesus' teaching. For the Philippians, it was passed on through the apostles. And for us now, we have it in the Bible, what's in your hands, what's on your seats. And he says, hold on to it, grip it firmly. And not so as to just hold it intellectually, but so that it flows into our lives, so that it's personal and it comes out in our relationships. And this seems to me, this passage here, seems to be another hint about what Paul is talking about when he says, work out your salvation. The next passage I want to quickly look at is 17 and 18. And this is the last part before we really jump in. Can you read it with me? But if, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me, he says. Isn't this incredible? He says, even if I'm working, working, working for all of you lot, I'm going, to be, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad. Even if I'm serving and serving and serving, I'm going to be rejoicing. And God brings him joy. See, I just thought holidays bring joy. How can working for the sake of somebody else bring joy too? And that's why in the previous verses, I think, we see that in our relationships, imitate Jesus. As you serve, imitate Jesus. And this is another wonderful application, another example of what Paul means by work out your salvation. And so as we read the verses 14 to 18 and we read the previous therefore verses, perhaps we start to get a feel about what Paul is talking about when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what does it mean? Does this mean for us to get right with God, for us to fix this problem that we have with God, we have to work, we have to work, we have to work? I'm not sure. See, the Bible goes to quite some lengths to say that our relationship with God is broken. So what does it mean to work out our salvation? Does it mean... Does it mean work, 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 keep working, keep striving, and you'll, you'll, you'll maybe potentially one day, hopefully, get right with God? Is that what this is saying? See, the Bible really goes to some lengths to say, no, 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 no. No. Your relationship, my relationship with God, it's, it's broken. Because of who we are at a core, you can work all you like. That's not going to be fixed. 
We've got something broken in us. It's our nature. We need this restored. And at face value, you might read this verse and say, well, I've got to work this out. I've just got to work out my salvation. This is what it seems to be saying. But when we consider this verse in light of the previous therefore verses, in light of the verses in um, 14 and onwards, I think it's really hard to take this reading of it. In just a few verses' time, this is what Paul writes. Read this closely. This is just a few verses on. Paul says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the part. The righteousness that comes from God is on the basis of faith. So work out your salvation, okay? But, but, but salvation, righteousness, comes from God. It's a gift, and it's on the basis of faith, not on work. See, righteousness or salvation, as we might usually think of it, it comes from God, given to us on the basis of faith. It's declared by God on our behalf. And this is where we might get confused with the passage this morning. Because when we hear the word salvation, we might bring all sorts of good and bad baggage with it. But this idea of salvation in the Bible, it's talked about in the past tense, it's talked about in the present tense, and it's talked about in this future tense. So what's Paul not saying here? What I think he's not saying is this. Don't work, don't do heaps of good stuff in order to try to be forgiven by God. Do you get that? Don't keep working at it because you won't get there if that's your motivation. But we need to trust God and then it's done. We're forgiven, past, present, and future. And the fancy word that sometimes gets thrown around to help explain this is the word justification. Have you ever heard this word? It's just a word to say that we are justified at the cross of Christ when we have faith in God. This is quite a different thing from trying to work out what it is like to mature as a Christian. And in today's passage, our focus passage, it seems quite apparent to me that Paul is talking about the ongoing work of maturing as a Christian. The striving work to say, how do we work out? How do we, how do we be a Christian in this world? And this is often called sanctification. It's that we're saved from the ongoing impact of sin in our day-to-day life. See the difference? One, we are saved. It's done. That's it. The other one is that we're then going on to work out what does this actually look like as we become more and more like Jesus, as we follow his example, as we grow as Christians. And I know that justification and sanctification, they're sort of these big words, and, and, and in one sense they're irrelevant, but it's really helpful to understand this difference. And the Bible actually goes to quite some lengths to try to help us understand this difference. Did you notice in the passage that these people had already obeyed? They'd already obeyed, and now they're being called to live out their faith. And this is a distinction that is so important for us, because naturally we think, I'm like you, trust me, we think, I'll do more, I'll do more, I'll do more, and I'll, and I'll hopefully get closer to God, and that's maybe what will get me into heaven, but the Bible just says, you won't make it. You won't get there. To be made with, right with God, that's given by God on the basis of our faith. 
when we trust in him. And that's why it doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work it out. Work out your salvation. It's about maturing. It's about striving to grow. And so I hope we've been given some context and some potential application to hopefully begin to narrow down what does this verse mean? Because working out our faith, as I mentioned earlier, it's hard. I'll ask you this. What does it mean to love your neighbour? How do we live out our best life as Christians? It's really hard, isn't it? It's hard, yeah. So does that mean we sit still? Does that mean that we sit on our hands and say, well, this is just too difficult? Okay, yeah, the the Bible does seem to say I'm saved, so I might just sit tidy. I might just sit idle. Or do we work earnestly to grow? I think today's passage says work. Can anyone remember Jesus' grand ambition on the Sermon on the Mount? Remember that? Love your enemies. Don't break your word. Give to the needy. He finishes by saying, be perfect, therefore. Be perfect, he says, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What? Can you achieve this? I can't. Do we try then with all of our capacity to achieve this? Absolutely we do. We can't achieve it. No way. Does that mean we don't try? Absolutely not. We work at it, Paul says. And this is, I think, one of the key take-homes from for today. Church, people, work at it. Do something. Start small. Start moving. And this is our encouragement. Don't be apathetic. Don't just sit still, but spend time, expend energy working out what does it mean to live a life as a Christian. Be proactive in your faith. Now, if you're someone sitting here this morning that you might not call yourself a Christian, and that's fine. It might not be about working out what does your faith look like to be worked out because that might not be there. It might be finding out whether there's a basis for faith at all. And I think it's worthwhile time spending time working out whether there is any such thing as truth whatsoever. So we're talking about working out faith and living out faith as a Christian, but if you don't have faith at all, then I would encourage you that it's a worthwhile pursuit to say, is there even truth? Is there even merit in this guy called Jesus that these people are singing about? And so I'm going to make a bet. I bet you I know what some of you are thinking. I do, I do. This is what you think. Okay, cool, I get it. I've got to do some work because I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm going to do more stuff. I might read more books or I might go to more Bible studies or I might go to more conferences. I'm just going to learn heaps of stuff and then I'm going to start doing heaps of stuff. Is that what you think? Bet some of you are. That's what I started thinking. And then as I read and spent a little bit more time, I thought, ah, there's a hint here. It's not about just doing more stuff. It's actually about our heart and our mind. It's about our stance before God. Did you pick up on these critical words? One sec. Obeyed. These critical words of fear and reverence. Fear and trembling. Did you see that? We think let's do more. Let's work at it harder. But we get a really clear hint from Paul that he's actually talking about our heart and our mind and our stance before God. Do you have a healthy reverence towards God? 
a healthy fear? Because in our day and age, we want to be pals with God. He's my homeboy. And that is true, but you're talking about the God of the universe. You're talking about a God that placed everything, that holds you together intimately. You have a healthy fear or reverence towards such a God? I think Paul's saying that this stance, this position, this, this mind, this heart of ours is to be characterized by reverence and fear. That'll shape the way you live in your day to day. And some of us might think, fear and trembling, this is like, that's not joy. That's, that's opposite. But we see the opposite in Paul. Paul's getting poured out as a drink offering, serving people with reverence towards God. And, and, and our position of our heart and mind in reverence to God, that puts us exactly in the pocket of where we need to be to have joy-filled lives. It's where we're designed to be in reverent relationship with God. We all think, let's just be happier more. Let's just go on. Let's just, let's just eat more food, go on more holidays, just relax. And we think that's the way we'll find joy. No, no. Paul here gives us a hint. Reverence, a reverent relationship towards God is where we find joy. And so this next section and our, is our conclusion for today. And it, this, is, this next little part of the verse is what just blew my mind this week. You notice what it says? It says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is the part. For God works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What? This is what? God works in you. So he says, work. Because God is working in us. See, two biblical themes sort of collide here in this verse, don't they? It's sort of like this wonderful paradox. Do work. God is working. Hang on. Who's working here? Is it God working? Is Is it me working? Or are we both working? See, for me, this is one of the most wonderful themes of the Bible. And it's expressed quite a lot. You and I, we have real motivations. We have real actions. We have real wills, don't we? We've got our own responsibilities. I pick up my phone. I put down my phone. I'm exercising my will, aren't I? It's real. It's tangible. It's, it's mine. But this is the incredible part. God is working on our will and on our actions for those that trust in him. And see, when we become Christians, God says, you've got a new spirit. Okay, interesting. But we have our own nature, don't we? And I mentioned before that this nature's broken. And so there's this conflict. God gives us his spirit when we become a Christian, and we are broken people. And that's why Paul says this. Read with me. He says these funny words. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, he writes. This is Romans chapter 7. He says, that is in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, I keep doing it. There's this sort of conflict, isn't there? And this conflict is because you're imperfect and I'm imperfect. But the amazing thing about this passage, and this is it, God is with us to help. It's not as though God does the work for us. We need to exercise our own real will. But God is working in us to will and to act. God supplies us with the capacity through his spirit. 
the willingness, the toolkit, the motivation through his spirit. And that's why Paul in Romans 15, have a read, says these surprising words. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. And here it is. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I worked harder than anyone else. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Can you see the tension? Can you, can you hear the balance here? God's sovereign will enabling our human effort towards Christian maturity. The God of the universe, that one that we have awe and reverence towards, actually caring enough for you with intention to have a role in your life. One morning during my golf obsession, it was really raining hard. And I'm like, I'm going to practice. See, when, you, when it's like, you don't want to practice on the rainy days, right? I'm going to practice by myself. It was raining. It was winter. It was about 10 degrees. And I'm like, I'm going to go and pick up my golf club, and I'm just going to get like 20 balls, and I'm just going to try to chip them onto the green. I was like, I did it for over an hour in the rain. It was windy too. It was at Motorvale. Horrible morning. Second time came around. It's, oh, yeah, no, it's raining a little bit. I, I'll go out. So I went out, and I was out there about... 30 minutes this time, it's a little, it's a little chilly, like stupid people train in these conditions. Third time came around and I, I pulled up to the car park and it just started to rain. I was like, no, no, I don't want to get a cold. I've got to protect myself, so I'm going to go home. I'll be, I'll be the more responsible person, I'll go back to bed. And this went on to the point where if it was raining any time in the week, I'd be like, I better not practice because, you know, the grass could be a bit wet. It's just not perfectly right conditions. It went on and on and on. I stopped playing golf. I haven't played golf for two years. I'm about to have a baby. <laughs> Someone said to me, Matt, what, what's one of your hobbies? And I said, oh, he said, do you play golf? This is on Thursday night. I said, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you know, I play golf. Yeah, I'm a golfer. I'm like, I was basically professional at one stage. I was, you know, like, you know, I was pretty good, you know. He's like, good luck, you're never playing golf again. That's a, retired man's, that's a retired man's sport. Did you note in the passage what it said? God, who works in us to will and act. I'll stop playing golf. Yeah, no trouble. It's too hard, way too hard. Tiny ball, stupid little hole, and it's a long way away. You give up on that stuff, it's common sense. But the wonder of this passage is this. If you've lost me, I'm sure most of you have. Listen now, listen now. God has such grace on us that he causes in us stuff to happen, to will and to act for our good. You get that? That's how we can grow. It keeps going. He has real intention in our lives. What an amazing privilege this is to be a part of God's plan. You might often say, oh, it's all in God's plan. Do we understand the magnitude of that? We are part of God's plan. God is willing things in us, working in us, causing things in us so that we might act. That's where my mind was blown this week, that the God of the universe, that 
we can try our best to have awe and reverence for, has such attention and such intention in every Christian, and unlike my golf, it won't end. Remember what Paul wrote earlier on in chapter 1, verse 6? He said these words. Listen carefully. He said, he who began a good work in us, that's God who began a good work in us, will perfect it until the day of Christ. Your hobbies will come, your hobbies will go. But the God of the universe is with us to will and to act stuff. So it's no surprise that Paul's getting poured out like a drink offering, serving, 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 and he's joy-filled about it. Why? Because God's at work in him. I want you to imagine something. This is going to be hard to imagine. Imagine you get to show up to a room on a Sunday morning, and when you walk in, there's a cup of coffee there. And you walk a little bit further, you get to have conversation with pretty decent people. And imagine then you get to sing freely and you get the Bible read out for you. And then you get some time to reflect on it and to pray and sing some more. Imagine that. Imagine if God was using these things to shape you, to help you work out your salvation. As in the words in this book, this Bible is the means that he uses, the prayers that we just prayed are the means that he uses to shape us, to be more like him. Imagine that. That's joy-filling stuff. God's working in you. He's working. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't really feel like working. I'm tired. People say, you're not, even, you're not tired, man. You don't even know what tired means yet, buddy. But I'm, so I'm going to get really tired, and it's going to be even harder to work then, isn't it? God's working in you. Obviously, today's talk isn't about breaking down the detail of what it looks like to work out our salvation. It's not about breaking down the detail of what it looks like for God to be working in our lives. It's not about the detail. But my hope, my prayer is that every one of us would recognize that both are happening, that we need to, you need to, I need to exercise my will as God works in us, that we might do something about it, that we might try to work it out. Paul writes these words so that you know you're not alone. If you're tired here today as a Christian, you're not alone. If you feel like your, your faith has slowed down right to a halt, you're not alone. God is at work. That's why I don't want to spend much time detailing what it can look like, because I just want us to understand this, recognize its significance, the God of the universe at work in very broken people. And so that, in closing, we need to know that God is at work in us. This should be an encouragement to us to don't be idle. And I say these words to myself too, Matt. Don't be idle. Don't just sit still. Work at it. Don't just live life. Don't just let life carry you on. Or even as you're so busy, you know, busyness, wow, what a trap. Don't just let it carry you through life. Intention. Work at your faith. It's so easy to coast, isn't it? It's so easy. Life gets busy, but we all have time to dedicate to our faith. Today's passage, I hope, provides us with real encouragement. God is at work in those that trust in him. This is incredible. And so God is at work, so my encouragement is get to work. 
If you've grown idle, I encourage you. I encourage you. Start small. Just say a prayer while we're singing now. Get involved. Listen to a podcast. Open up the Bible by yourself maybe this week at home. Just start to work it out. Not because you're going to make yourself right with God. I promise you, you won't. You won't ever get there. Jesus tells us you won't get there. You have faith in him and he gets us there, but work it out. Live our lives as Christians, trying our best with all of our capacity to work it out, imitating Jesus, knowing that he is working too. Why? Because we will shine like stars in this Mossman community. Not so that we look good, but so that God looks good as we try to work out our faith. And we'll find our joy in him, our saviour. I encourage you to work it out because God is certainly working it out in you.